0: I'm excited to share uh, with us from the Acts of the Apostles, the 11th chapter, this passage that will be familiar to some of you, the vision of Peter, um, which has always felt a little awkward to me. It's a sheet full of food, um, but (laughs) beautiful in its own way. I'm glad some else are laughing because every time I come to it, I have to get past that a little bit, but absolutely just rich. Wonderful, incredible moment in the life of the early church, in the life of Peter. Um, so I, I just invite you to hear these words or read along if you'd like um, the, the passages printed out in the bulletin. The news traveled fast, and in no time the leaders and friends back in Jerusalem heard about it. These are the leaders and friends of the early church, the early followers of the way of Jesus. And so they heard that the non-Jewish outsiders were now in. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, some of his old associates, concerned about circumcision, called him on the carpet. What do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating what is prohibited and ruining our good name? So Peter, starting from the beginning, laid it out for them step by step. Recently, I was in the town of Joppa praying. I fell into a trance and saw a vision, something like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners, came down out of heaven and settled on the ground in front of me. Milling around in the blanket were farm animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds, you name it, it was there. Fascinated, I took it all in. Then I heard a voice, go to it, Peter, kill and eat. I said, oh oh no, Master, I've, I've never so much as tasted food that wasn't kosher. The voice spoke again, if God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the sky. Just then, three men showed up at the house where I was staying, sent from Caesarea to get me. The Spirit told me to go with them, no questions asked. So I went with them, I and six friends, to the man who had sent for me. He told us how he had seen an angel right in his own house, real as his next-door neighbor, saying, Send to Joppa and get Simon, the one they call Peter. He'll tell you something that will save your life. In fact, you... And everyone you care for. So I started in talking. Before I'd spoken half a dozen sentences, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on us the first time. I remember Jesus' words. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, if God gave the same exact gift to them as to us when we believed in the Master Jesus Christ, How could I object to God? Hearing it all laid out like that, they quieted down. And then as it sank in, they started praising God. It's really happened. God has broken through to the other nations, opened them up to life. Let's pray together. God, let that be true for us. Open us up to life. We give you thanks that the gift of your Holy Spirit is not hindered by our failures, by our anything. And so, God, I pray that we, as we feel ourselves called out, as, frankly, as we just live our day-to-day lives, that these words, this reminder, this passage that your spirit would guide us as well. And so, God, I pray in these moments as we consider your holy word that you would speak through me and, if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. So, when there is tension... um, in the church specifically um, in religion maybe more accurately it's usually around that question that eugene peterson in the message translation which we just read uh, calls who is in and who is out right that's the question and it happens on all sorts of different levels i mean there's often questions uh, who, who should be allowed to to be a leader in the church or, or teach a bible study should it only be for members is it just for people of a certain age or experience? Within our own denomination, as many of you know, there is tension around the question of inclusion, the question of whether or not we as a church should allow the membership, ordination, or marriage of the LGBTQ plus community. And for some, there is tension around the question of who goes to heaven and who doesn't. There's a big who is in and who is out for you. And that tension or tension like it existed all the way back in the very earliest of the early church. There was this tension here that that sort of sets up this whole story that we just read. The tension was around this question. If you are going to follow Jesus, do you need to first be or become Jewish? Often that's a, a distinction that is referred to in sort of a shorthand way of circumcision. Uh, you know, do, they, do I need to be circumcised to become Jewish before I can follow Jesus? But it wasn't just that. Food was another big part of it, which also plays out in this story um, and is highlighted in, in Peter's vision. And Peter, of course, at the center of this experience, Peter is Jewish. Jewish. Peter, in fact, although you might recall in some of paul 's letters he talks about all the ways that he was like you know just so perfect in all these different ways based on the laws of being that, Peter does not have that kind of uh, history to flaunt, but here, as he is invited to eat some food that would have broken the kosher laws, he replies, "Oh no, master i 've never so much as tasted food that wasn 't kosher." And we see in The objection of those that he's speaking to, that it may not even really be the accusation that he has eaten the wrong thing, but the truth is that by their laws, if, if Peter had simply accepted the hospitality and gone and been among a family that was not eating kosher, that would have been just through those interactions he would have been made unclean. And so I share that because a part of what I hope we understand is that this, at least generally, it's not a dismissive act by the people who are challenging Peter. They're not trying to say, how dare you? Why would you do this? But it's one that they're offering faithfully. They're coming from a standpoint that says, well, don't they have to do this in order to follow Jesus? They want them to follow Jesus, but is this the first thing they have to do? Their goal, I, I want to suggest, and maybe I'm being optimistic here, but their goal may ultimately be, look, we want to bring these people into the fold, into the movement of Christianity, but if you just go to their house and they're not eating kosher, what are you, what are, you tell, are you telling them it's okay? Because for many, adherence to the laws was, was not just a huge part of their identity, of their faith, it was also deeply connected to who Jesus was. And, and for them, therefore, it's, it's something that they felt that others were called to in order to be incorporated into this faith in Jesus. We, you know, again, this question, before you follow Jesus, should you first become Jewish? And that's in part why this vision that Peter has of the sheet or the blanket being lowered down, it's, it's why it's so important but I want to suggest that, that what happens after it is, is even more important. To come back to, to Peter's response, it just it strikes me. Peter has these standards, right? He, he can say, look, I have kept kosher my whole life. He So strictly in fact, as he says, I have never so much as tasted food that wasn't kosher. And look, that isn't just one of the laws that Peter keeps. It's one that he can hang his hat on and he can be proud of. I mean, it, let's be honest. It is impressive. It's something he has never broken, never had a cheat day. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Again, I think that's impressive. I can't claim that. You name a lot well, OK, let's not go down that road. But the point is is, is that he is, he is given this invitation three times. What God says is good is good. Go. He's given the invitation fundamentally to see what God is doing, and that that is happening. Beyond Peter's perfect record with this law, beyond his perfect adherence to living the kosher way, and it opens up an amazing and holy opportunity. Now look, he, he goes, so then he goes with these three men, and they introduce him to another, and and as he's getting as he's getting to know them, he finds out that they are hungry for God. And as Peter is willing to be with them and be present with them and share his own experience with them, he, because he is there with them, plays this huge part in them coming to know God. When he meets them, he doesn't question whether or not, hey, I've kept kosher my whole life. What about you? No. He finds out that they hunger for truth just like Peter did. They finds out that they long for the person and saving work of Jesus, just as Peter did. And there, in his presence, Peter witnesses the Holy Spirit come upon them, just as it had on him. And even Peter says, I'd barely spoken six sentences, and it was happening. They were so hungry for it. And God was at work. And Peter simply says, again, he's responding to people who objected to him being in there with them. And he simply said, look, if God gave the same exact gift to them... As to us, when we believed in the Master Jesus Christ, how could I object to God? Or as it says in another translation, who was I that I could hinder God? Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry spending time with those who had been cast out by culture and society, and yes, religion. In fact that seems to have upset more people than anything else he did his willingness to be present with people that he was supposed to think shouldn't be a part we know that and yet i'm still surprised even though i know i shouldn't be i still find myself surprised when the ongoing of ministry of jesus through the holy spirit continues to act and live and serve that way. Are we, are we really surprised when God, who has done so throughout Scripture, works not just in mysterious ways, but through thoroughly unexpected people? I mean, my point is, I think we should hold very close to the question that Peter poses to those who are objecting. Who am I that I would hinder God? Who am I that I would stand between what God is doing because it would make me uncomfortable. There's a story uh, um, I was told some years ago. Bishop Will Willimon is a name that many of you may know. He's written a lot of books. He's a big deal, and he doesn't know who I am, so I'm not going to call him a friend. But uh, he was a professor and uh, someone I met through some people and I've had the chance to learn from him. But he told me in a small group a story some years ago. It's really stuck with me. When he was the bishop... um, one of his local churches were complaining about their pastor. You see, they said, they said, Bishop, look, we're getting a bad name around town because our pastor keeps going to the local gay bar. And we know, we, we're not suggesting that he's going there and he's drinking too much or that he's picking people up. It's, it's none of that at all. It's just the people in town are starting to talk. And, and, and we're, we just, it's uncomfortable. And so could you talk to him? And so uh, Bishop Willemond said, okay. So he called the bishop into his office. Now, I just want to emphasize here something. The bishop has never called me into his office. Um, I am glad for that because that does not happen unless you're in trouble. Well, I don't know if that's true. But the point is, is, let's just say, I don't So I'm just saying, I want you to feel that just telling this story, I get a little nervous. But So the, the, the pastor comes into the office and, and Bishop Willimon says to him, look. I get it. I know what you're doing. Because they talked about this before. I know what you're doing. You're going there to evangelize. You're going there to minister just to be present with them. And I get it. And I got to tell you, I have nothing against it. But your church is raising a fit about it. And I just think it would be best if you just stopped going. And Bishop Willimon said he just thought for about 20 seconds. And then he said to me, all right, Bishop, I'll tell you what. If you can keep Jesus out of that bar, I'll stop going to that bar. And Bishop Willemond said, All right, get out of here. <laughs> so, right? And that's the point, right? Where is Jesus not? If you can tell me where Jesus isn't, I'll be surprised. And the question is, what who are we to hinder that work? Who are we to say, well, not there, not them? And the truth is, just as Peter does. And says in this passage, each of us has a few uh, laws or rules or doctrines that we hold close, that we hold dear, that we are, let's say, proud of. And and part of that is because they're special to us. Part of it is because they have formed us and they continue to help us grow closer to God. And I am not saying, please don't hear me say this because I'm not saying it, nor would I ever suggest that you forget them, that you leave them behind, that they're no good or unimportant, or stop practicing them. But if those rules, those laws, those doctrines, if they ever shift into something instead of helping you grow closer to God to become a point of separation between you and another, then they have taken on a character that I would suggest is not of God. That's what happens when when that happens. They've become something very different than the God we know most through Jesus Christ, who let no gender or nationality or ethnicity or financial status or health or dignity or righteousness or anything else in all creation separate someone from his love. The truth is, I don't have to tell you that we are in a time that is marked by division and dissension. And the other truth I want you to hear is, I believe that God is still at work in the midst of us. And if we want to be the church, that is the ongoing presence of God in the world as the church is the body of Christ, then our vision should be one that bring more to the table of God, not less. Our vision has to be more like Peter's, who sees the beauty of all creation, even as some of it might challenge us, push us. We need to work like Jesus worked, bringing people together, finding the outcast, and letting them know they are loved to see the joy in one another beyond the things that we are prone to notice instead and prone to be the things that would keep us apart instead. And when we begin to feel or wonder or rationalize, well, not not that person. I mean, I, I I get what Ben is saying, but not them. I think we need to ask ourselves, who am I that I would hinder God? And let me just say, it's not an accusation, and it's not a disappointment. What it is, I pray, for, for you and for me, that really what it moves us to is a moment of tremendous joy. Just like it was for Peter and for those who were with him that day. It's a moment of joy that recognizes that that same grace, the same God that is at work in our lives can be and is at work in the lives of others, all others, that God is at work breaking through the divisions and opening us and all people to life. Thanks be to God. Amen.